Culture Map presents What's Eric Eating? From the Gal Media Studios in Houston, Texas, here's Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. Welcome to What's Eric Eating? Culture Map's weekly look at all things in the world of Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. I have Ben and Daniel Berg coming up in a little bit. But first, I am joined this week by one of my frequent co-hosts, Mary Clarkson, the owner of La Olivier Restaurant in Montrose. Mary, welcome back to the show. How are you? Howdy, Eric. I am well. Pretty rested after the weekend. (laughs) Well, thanks for being here. Uh, Let us dive right into the news of the week, starting with the news that three restaurants that are well-established in Houston are expanding to new locations. Sweet Paris Crepes has opened its third Houston area location in Katy. True Food Kitchen is coming to the Woodlands in May. And Sean Marshall, the owner of Southside Espresso, is going to open a new restaurant called Coterie in the Market Square Tower. Uh, Mary, I'm not sure that there's a whole lot to say about any of these. Do you have a, uh, do you have a deep affection for either Sweet Paris or True Food Kitchen? No, I would say out of the three that you just men- mentioned, I'm probably most excited about Southside Espresso. I, I go there fairly o- fairly often, and Sean's a really great guy. Um, I think this is a good location for them. But the other two, yeah, no, I don't really have any feelings about them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I am not a true food kitchen regular, but uh, it is certainly an impressive uh, restaurant, at least from a, uh, a standpoint of it's pretty, it's, it's pretty busy. Uh, that location near the Galleria at uh, Post Oak in San Felipe is is pretty consistently busy. I think it'll be a, a hit in the woodlands just because it's a little bit family friendly. It's a little bit health conscious. It checks a lot of boxes. Uh, but yes, I'm with you. I think Coterie is kind of an interesting evolution for Sean and his business partner, Charles Lusk. It's a good location in the Market Square Tower. That is the one with the pool that's like 40 something stories up and you can see the little glass bottom extending beyond the roof line but they're very light on details in terms of what it will serve and and that kind of thing so let me let me put it to you like this what will it take for coterie to be more than an amenity for these residents what would it take for it uh to compel you to dine there Ooh, it's got to cater to to the people within <coughs> To the people within um, that tower. So they've got another demographic. So I don't know if that means offering healthier options or offering things that make their um, customers' lives easier, like delivery in-house, you know. Um, That might be a nice amenity where people don't have to go search for their food or get on Uber Eats or any of these others. Yeah, it's an interesting location just in the sense that they're going to have the Bravery Chef Hall opening basically across Market Square Park in the RS Tower. And then Lyric Market, the the huge food hall, is coming to the Arts District. That's also basically walking distance uh, from Market Square Tower. So it's got to kind of slot between these food halls. It's got to be convenient for the residents. But I'm not sure that beyond being just sort of a kind of neighborhoody coffee shop with a good wine program, that it's really going to draw people in from off the street. 
Yeah, I mean, I've, if they were really smart about it, they would market to the surrounding businesses and keep their prices, at least at lunch, really moderate to encourage people to, deni- to dine multiple times a week. But I am intrigued by this walk-in wine room and the all-Italian furniture and furnishing. So if nothing else, it'll look nice. It'll look great. All right, let's move on. Food and Wine Magazine came out with their Restaurants of the Year list for 2018. Yay! <laughs> it includes uh, what I know is one of your favorite places, Better Luck Tomorrow. It's totally one of my favorite places. <laughs> so here's the only funny thing about that, because we've talked about Better Luck Tomorrow quite a bit on the show. Is it a bar? Uh, is it a restaurant? Well, that is the question. <laughs> it, it just won the Culture Map Tastemaker Award for Bar of the Year. We had uh, Terry Williams and Alex DeGrands on several months ago who were pretty affirmative about the fact that it leans more bar than restaurant, but now Food & Wine has called it a restaurant. Um, I think once Food & Wine speaks for you and nominates you for Best Restaurant, you're just going to have to accept it. I love Alex. He's done such an amazing job there, but let's face it, it, at this point now, regardless of what they want, it's equal parts bar and equal parts restaurant. They're probably going to kill me for saying that, but whatever. It's great food and... Um, they have done such a great job in their first year of being open. Let me just ask you, would you go there just for the food? Well, yeah, I would go there just for the food. But usually, you know, food equals drink for me. Um, (laughs) At least a glass of wine, maybe not a cocktail. But because of their hours, I go there a lot for brunch. Um, They're not open for lunch during the week. But because it's a, um, you know, they open at 3.30 in the afternoon during the week, uh, it does lend itself to you getting at least a bite of food along with a drink. So, yeah, I would go there without um, cocktails, and I have. You know, I think I think there are times when it definitely skews more as a restaurant. Uh, certainly on Pasta Tuesday, mm-hmm. the, 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 the cacio e pepe and, and then whatever the pasta special of the week is, those by themselves are worth trying. And I love that brunch menu. They kill it for brunch. I've, I mean, I, more than a handful of times I've done a brunch menu takedown with a group of people. It's Their brunch menu for me is one of the best in town. And then, of course, at night, like especially as it gets later, more bar, right? Come for cocktails, maybe, maybe crush a bottle of wine on the patio. Bar but. with a side of bar. Yeah. <laughs> Double bar. Double bar. Uh, <laughs> um, I like their wine list. I mean, their cocktail program is definitely where it's at. I wish... If my if I only had one criticism and uh, of the wine list, it would be I wish there were some wines at a at a lower price point. Um, but other than that, I mean, their wine selection is really great. Um, I just wish maybe there was some choices in the twenties or thirties per bottle. Something for Justin Van to think about as he uh, updates the list for spring and summer. Yeah, yeah. I think as much as I have enjoyed. Visits to Better Luck Tomorrow, I, I, and and Food and Wine can kind of call it what they want, but I I do think of it as more bar than restaurant, uh, and and it is in in one sense it is a little bit surprising that 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 was the pick from Houston, but you know these national publications I do think Celebrity Provenance in this case having co-owners of Bobby Hugel and Justin Yu really pushed it over the top. Absolutely, and it is this kind of flexible space, and we don't have very many like it so i think it stands out just kind of by being unique i think it's a smart trend for bars to offer food when they can i mean 
this is definitely not the same type of bar. It's a wine bar, but 13 Celsius, I mean, is one of those places that I go to drink and eat. And BLT is now in that category of a place that I don't have to leave to go get dinner or a small bite. It's there. So that's something nice. Yeah. And I think Holman Draft Hall is kind of the latest evolution of that. Uh, certainly the menu that Brandon Silva has put together. It's it's more on the snacky bar food side of things, but the, the quality is very good. Absolutely. All right. Let us move on. Um, one of my, a chef I've, I've been following for a long time, Herman Mascara has signed on to Cafe Brazil. This is kind of a return to the kitchen for him. Herman had been spent the last like three, four years running a juice bar and teaching yoga. Uh, but prior to that, he had had a very good run at both Roots Bistro and Sonk at La Column d'Or. Uh, he is a one-time vegan, not anymore. But his commitment to local sourcing and vegetable-forward cuisine uh, has has been really strong. And I remember going to dinner at Sonk once when he was there and just having an incredible meal. And so I'm really excited about what this means for Brazil, which is you know an institution in Montrose. It's been around for almost 25 years. But I've never really thought of it as a food destination. And I think that's going to change. Let's see. I've got a lot of thoughts about this one. Um, Cafe Brazil, Dan, <coughs> Dan Fergus, the owner of Cafe Brazil, is a good friend of mine. Um, I've known Herman since he was at um, Sonk at La Colombe d'Or. Uh, we actually, Chef Olivier and I used to have Sunday night dinner with he and Sebastian Laval, who went on to be one of our managers several years ago and is now at BCN. But Herman's super talented. Um I think that Dan wanted to up his game and has wanted to for a long time. But as a lot of us know, it's hard to find really good talent in this town and to find somebody that understands um, your DNA and where you want to be. I think that common bond being across the street and being open for dinner and expanding their menu offerings under Johnny Caraba made Dan probably look look at what's going on across the street and want some of that for himself. And he should, he's been around a long time. Um, it's a neighborhood institution. I get what you're saying, Eric, that maybe it hasn't been on your mind for, um, serious food per se, but I think this, this will be really interesting to see what comes of this. And, um, I think it's the next, next, uh, page for Dan and a partnership with Herman. So let's see what they're going to do. Yeah. And it's, it's part of some other changes that have gone on in Brazil. They added a full liquor license, so now they have cocktails in addition to beer and wine. They have that beautiful back patio that's a great it's event a space. Stunning space. Yeah. It it's really, you know, it's almost a little bit underrated. I think it we we might take Brazil for granted just because it's been around, you know, I, I mean I remember even uh friends of mine going there when we were in high school. So that's getting to be a pretty Study long group. time ago. Yeah. <laughs> I was never cool enough to go to Brazil in high school, but it was Empire Cafe and Brazil for me. Yeah, it was half off, half off cake at Empire on Mondays. That was always the deal, and and my first exposure to like lattes and that you know espresso beverages in general. Come on, hipster! I was never, I was never cool enough to be a hipster. Oh. Uh, but no, this is an exciting new new direction for Brazil, and and Herman has rolled out a few dishes, uh, a vegan English muffin which is something that probably doesn't exist very many places. He's got a whole uh, dinner menu that he's rolling out. He's got a, a breakfast menu that's 
already in place, you know, lighter, brighter, uh, better vegetarian options, getting out of the taco business, which is good for them, um, and into, you know, pizzas and burgers and stuff that people just kind of crave and can eat every day. I think, I think this is, this is all positive for, for Brazil, for Dan and for Herman. I'm excited. All right. And then, uh, finally, I just wanted to talk briefly about the I'll Have What She's Having Gala uh, that you and I attended now a couple of weeks ago. Um, it is rare to go to any sort of food event and to just look around and feel like, I can't believe everybody's here, um, but I'll Have What She's Having really had that. I, just about every important female... Chef, pastry chef, bartender, manager, restaurateur uh, was either working the event or in attendance at the event. Uh, a lot of prominent local male chefs were there to support their female colleagues. Uh, the food was really great. I thought... Uh, the barbecue was amazing. Yeah. Aaron's uh, smoked short rib, uh, Jamie Zelka's lacquered salmon, uh, Lynette Hawkins from Giacomo's, her... Uh, her kale dish, uh, the dessert was, was really good. phenomenal. The dessert was great. Jody cakes, yeah, and Valerie. Uh, sorry, Valerie, I don't, I'm not going to remember your last name, but but uh, I'll link to it in the Culture Map article. But that cake was that cake was phenomenal. Um, so, Mary, you're a you're a woman in the restaurant industry. What do you what did you think of the All Have What She's Having Gala, and and what does it kind of tell us about? Um, where women are in terms of Houston right now. I was incredibly excited to be there. So thank you for inviting me um, and to all have what she's having. Uh, I think this was a splendid moment in time. Um, it's 2018. It's a hard business to be in, whether you're male or female. I don't think sex has anything to do with how hard this business can be. But to be there amongst my colleagues and to see the support uh, that we had for one another that night and will continue to have and the amount of money that we raised supporting um, both women in this business and just women's health in general, uh, I think is really important. Healthcare is in increasingly an expense that is out of reach for both people in this industry and out of this industry. And my mother's a survivor of breast cancer uh, recently, and I know how important uh, a preventative exam can be and women's wellness in general. So to be here amongst my colleagues, so many I respect very, very much um, and have learned a lot from it meant a great deal to me. And I look forward to this event in the future and to doing whatever I can to be a part of it and lend a hand both uh, in spirit and financially and the space, anything that they need. I, I was very happy to be here. Yeah. And like you said, they uh, were raising money for a number of four different uh, health related charities. Uh, one of them was going to go towards uh, mammograms for women. And then there was also a fund that they're calling Liz Fenton's purse snacks. That's through legacy health. That's designed to specifically help uh, women in the restaurant industry who don't have enough, money or are an offered insurance uh, and need help with their health care. So that seems like a particularly worthy cause. All in the event raised over a hundred thousand dollars. 
which it's um, amazing. It's both a good start and kind of a drop in the bucket, but um, certainly based on the turnout and based on the overall quality of the event, um, it seems like they built a lot of momentum and it will garner good things in the future. Yes, I can't wait for what's next for them. All right. That does it for the news of the week. We will be right back with our restaurant of the week. Stick around. You're listening to What's Eric Eating? So, Mary, for our restaurant of the week, I'd like to do something a little <laughs> bit different. I uh, I had a really nasty cold last week that kind of kept me housebound. I know you had a bout of the flu a couple of weeks ago that kept mm-hmm. you kind of housebound. So instead of talking about a new restaurant to try, because frankly, neither one of us made it to any, <laughs> um, I would like to talk about what is the food that you crave when you are under the weather? Well, I do have the benefit of a chef, so I'm going to say any homemade soup from Chef Olivier. Uh, if I were at the restaurant, French onion soup. But Carabas on Kirby, their minestrone soup, and Johnny Carabas um, chicken noodle soup. Uh, yeah, I think they call it Italian penicillin, don't they? I mean, that, I swear to God, it's medicine. It's like, that's my happy spot when I'm sick and I don't feel well. Um, the... Let's see, the faux at, uh, or the ramen at Cacharabata uh, uh, is pretty up there for me. Anything soup-based. I don't know. I'm old school. It's comfort. It feels like home to have a wonderful soup. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm right there with you. Certainly, you know, growing up, mom's chicken soup was always the way to go. Uh, when mom has spare chicken soup, she will occasionally bring me some, but I, I frequently substitute that for the... Uh, matzo ball soup at Kenny and Ziggy's that Ooh, that recreates a lot of the flavors of of what I grew up with, and of course this is Houston, so you know my pho cravings run pretty broad. Uh, I like pho Saigon in Midtown quite a bit. It's very affordable. I think a a a quote unquote small bowl, which is not really that small, is seven dollars. I usually pair that with an order of spring rolls and a nice tea. It costs me about. $10 plus tax and tip. Um, I've also been known to dig into some pho at Tianan on San Jacinto. And I really do like Chinese hot and sour soup. I get that at a bunch of places. Nice. Um, mostly 369 at Westheimer and Montrose. <laughs> Although I will say the best version in the city is at Malasetuan, which it, it almost seems like a waste given how good that menu is overall to get something as prosaic as hot and sour soup, but it really is the best hot and sour soup. And so it is worth it just from that perspective. Uh, and I have a deep affection for wonton soup from Kim San for whatever reason. Wonton that soup is the best. Cam's. Oh, all right. <laughs> it's really good. I had it last night. That, uh, <laughs> I will keep that in mind. And, uh, finally Nico Nico's has that great chicken and lemon soup. Ooh. That is just something I just crave. Um, I had a chicken, lemon, and rice soup at a Porto that was actually pretty good. All right. So there you go. And then in yeah, this isn't this isn't really a, a I feel sick and need comfort kind of thing. But <laughs> the gazpacho is back on the menu at Polly's, and that's like a a taste of spring and and always just very refreshing. Ooh, I haven't had that. I'll have to try that. I know Polly's is one of your favorites. It is. All right. That does it for our abbreviated restaurants of the week. Uh, Mary, before you go, why don't you tell us what's, uh, what's going on at La Olivia? I know what's you guys are cooking? getting ready for Mother's Day. 
Let's see. We've got Mother's Day brunch coming up. Uh, that's probably our third busiest day of the year. So take your mother out for brunch. Enjoy it. Uh, we'll be open from 11 to 3 that day. Uh, Chef Olivier does amazing crab cakes, Chateaubriand on brunch. So don't miss that. And then we have cooking classes every Saturday from 1 to 3. All right. And that is all available at LaOlivierHouston.com. Yes, sir. Mary, thank you so much. Thank you. I will be right back with Ben and Daniel Berg. You're listening to What's Eric Eating? Our interview this week is brought to you by Eighth Wonder Brewery. So glad to have Eighth Wonder back as a sponsor of the show. It really is one of my favorite local breweries. Their brewery in East Downtown that they call Wonder World is such a great place to hang out, especially now that the spring weather is here and all of the sports teams are kind of in in full bloom. The Astros are back in season. The Dynamo have kicked off their season. And we're looking forward to a deep playoff run for the Rockets. Eighth Wonder is a really great place to go before the game for a couple of beers, maybe a bite from the E2 Boys food truck. And of course, you can find it on tap walls and shelves all over the city. They have the Vice Timer that's their new year-round beer. It's made the jump from a seasonal. And looking ahead, we can look forward to the return of Haterade. There goes us. So thank you to Eighth Wonder for sponsoring the show. And I'll be right back with our guest of the week. I am joined this week by Ben and Daniel Berg. Ben, you are the owner of B&B Butchers. You recently acquired Carmela's in the Memorial area, and you are opening a restaurant called Benjamin's downtown later this year. Welcome to the show. How are you? Good. How are you? Thank you for having me. Thanks for being here. Cool. Dan, you are Ben's brother. You're a chef. You just moved to Houston, and you're kind of working at Carmelo's and, and plotting Benjamin's for... Yeah, that's correct. All right. So let me, uh, so Dan, let me start with you. What made this seem like the right time to come to Houston? What made it seem like the right time to come to Houston? Um, I just got married uh, in December. I've been in New York pretty much my whole life, almost 37 years. So I don't know. For me, I was doing a restaurant in New York. We opened about almost... 30 months ago and it was going well everything was good but I was just kind of all set with New York so it was more of a a personal decision and when Ben came came to me with the offer of doing Carmelo's I hadn't done Italian in about three years so I was looking to get back into that and it seemed like a great deal and a cool project and to get out of New York and and jump right into something was was exciting. Had he tried to recruit you for B&B at all? Um, I think he did when we fir- when he first was talking about opening B&B in Houston, we were talking about it, but I never worked in a steakhouse, uh, steakhouse chefs are sort of their own kind of beast. And I had never done that. Not that I can't cook steak, but you know, I think he really needed a steakhouse guy and I helped him out with some stuff on that menu, just some ideas and, and recipes. And he's B&B. being, but he's- I was, I was much much more into being in New York at that point in my life when he opened. And, uh, you know, I'm a little older and more tired now and don't really <laughs> want to live in New York anymore. You were single then. I was That's single what. then, too. Which... Yeah, New York's a fun time to be yeah, single. In, exactly, sure. yeah. And he's being nice because when Carmelo happened, I think 
I told him to skip his honeymoon and get down here sooner. To be honest, <laughs> I didn't skip my honeymoon though. No, but 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 I think he got back what February like fourth. I I was down here about three days after, and I, I made him come right in for my honeymoon. Yeah. <laughs> um. Ben, yeah, let's let's talk about Carmelo's a little bit because it seemed like the purchase happened kind of out of the blue. I mean, were you yeah. looking for another restaurant or, or how did that come together? No, I wasn't looking for another restaurant, nor was I uh, um, even planning on it. But um, I got put together with Carmelo. I was in a world of pain with trying to get the B&B in Fort Worth open. Nothing was really going right. And um, spending most of my time up in Fort Worth. And I said, yeah, I, you know, I, I, I live real, real close to there and I, I know the place. And I said, yeah, I'll sit down and have a conversation. And it was a conversation that then was just kind of talking more like philosophy and the history of his restaurant and kind of stuff like that. And I think I was back up to Fort Worth and it was on my mind, but not really. I had this big project that was being delayed, and I got an email from Carmelo saying, do you want to talk numbers? Um, and I said, sure, I'll be back in town. And he laid out his idea, and I said, well, should we get lawyers together? And he goes, well, do you have a lawyer? And I said, yeah. And he goes, well, why don't we just, the three of us sit down, and the numbers worked, and it happened really quickly. Yeah, I, I mean, it's an interesting idea because it was, it was going to close, Right. Right. And it was just going to go away. And so in in some ways you kind of saved it. Yeah, I would say though. I mean, yeah, we, we definitely saved it, but it, it was just, let me put it this way. When we, we sat down, we agreed on the numbers and that took probably 15, 20 minutes. Everything was really open. And then Carmelo whips out his notepad and he goes, okay, we have to talk about serious stuff. And I looked at my attorney, and I was like, oh, no. And um, he goes, first, he laid out a couple charitable organizations that he's been involved with for a long time. He was like, I, I would really appreciate it if you continue that. And I was like, yeah, no problem. And then he goes, uh, I'm Italian, and I need my pasta fix at least twice a week. I want free pasta. I'll pay for everything else, wine, et cetera. But twice a week, I get a free plate of pasta. And I thought that was great. And we actually, I think it's actually like section eight in the agreement is complimentary pasta for life. Yeah. I actually, I ate dinner there Saturday night with a friend of mine. I had never been to Carmelo's before. Mm -hmm. It is, it is really like defiantly old school. Oh yeah. I mean, it, it was opened uh, 37 years ago and it, and it really does sort of feel that way. Daniel, I mean, as a, as a chef, how do you how do you kind of balance like keeping what what's worked for the customers that have been eating there for a long time with, I mean, a menu that that needs a little bit of updating. Um, well, we updated the whole menu. I mean, it, it the the idea behind the restaurant is really to keep it as like a red sauce joint, what we'd say in New York. You know, it, we're not trying to do regional Italian cuisine. The region we're focusing on is Italian-American cuisine, you know, which I think is its own region to separate region outside of Italy, which is, is it's not real Italian food technically, you know? It's, well, it's, no, it's I, like, I, that's, that's something I think people in Houston sort of understand intuitively because 
we understand that Tex-Mex is a regional cuisine exactly. that's different than Mexican food. It's the best comparison to make to what we're doing there, yeah. you know, or what Italian-American food is. It's a great cuisine. Are you going to see that stuff in Italy? Not really. Just like Tex-Mex is a great cuisine. Are you going to see that stuff in Mexico? Probably not. You know, some aspects of it, yeah, but it's its own thing for sure. Um, and I love that sort of food. I grew up eating that sort of food, you know, with my brother in New York and some great uh, old school places there. So we just kind of, that was kind of the idea behind it and trying to do that food, you know, as well as we could down here, I think. Um, and also just, you know, uh, raising the bar a bit in terms of making all the pasta in-house, doing all the ravis in-house, even the sheets of lasagna we're, we're making in-house, extruding our own pasta. So elevating it in that sense, you know, that a lot of red sauce joints that have been open 30 years plus in New York don't even do that. You know, yeah, and I, I tried to sort of balance uh, what we ate to try to get a, a taste of kind of old and new. Like I had, you know, I'm going to blank on the name of the dish, but I had just a super classic veal and like that lemon uh, wine. veal piccata. Yeah, I yeah. had veal piccata. Uh, my friend had one of the new pasta dishes with Italian sausage. We had a frito misto, you know, just fried, yeah, deliciousness. And then that wagyu carpaccio with the yeah with the truffle aioli. I, I mean, it's it's like a good balance between kind of old and new. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely some stuff on there that you wouldn't see in an Italian, you know, an old red sauce joint in New York, and you wouldn't see in Italy. Just sort of some stuff we play with a little bit. Uh, and Ben, let me ask you: Are you kind of happy with how it's going so far? I mean, I know you've only had it for a couple of months. I'm happy my brother's here now. You know, I I I don't know. With me, I want to move fast on everything. Um, you know, the renovation is is what I'm looking forward to. Yeah, I mean, my my sense was that the decor needs some serious. Effort. Oh, <laughs> you know I, that, that that like street light thing is. Uh, I, I not gonna. I cut love it. the street light. <laughs> 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 you know, it, it's probably like. If I drop, if I uh, get rid of the street lights, I think my insurance will go down a little bit. So if somebody had too much wine, they don't walk straight into it. Um, but it, it, it needs some work. The building has great, great bones. Um, it's a really large space. It's actually bigger than B&B. It's 8,000 square feet. Um, but, you know, everything takes time. And city of Houston is not that fast right now. Right. I, so. Well, and especially, I mean, that part of town that was affected by yeah. flooding, that's gotta, it's got to be tough to get uh, permits through. You know, and, it, you know, there's, there's all the challenges we have. People still thinking it's closed. We hear that every day. I mean, just from little things of saying, okay, we're under new management with, like, Google. But then Google needs to permanently close you and then reopen you. And, it, it, you know, it's all a process. Um Timing wise, you know, we have construction going on right in front of us. You know, my plan is to start the renovation probably within the next six weeks. Everything works out perfectly. It should be done by end of July, August. Oh, then then you can just roll right into Eastern Restaurant Week. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, but, um, you know, I think uh, I explain it to people. We painted that main dining room white. I don't, you probably didn't go into the other ones. I just couldn't handle like the different colors of salmon all over. <laughs> um, but 
you know, it's like I explained it this way: it's, it, it's the Italian section of it's a small world ride <laughs> in Disney. Um, but I, the, the one thing that's definitely staying is the Leaning Tower. I think that's iconic. Yeah, I I noticed that <laughs> as I was uh, walking to the restroom. It's it's hard to miss, and, yeah. and it does it does seem like the sort of thing people would miss. But yeah, we're gonna do that. I'm gonna try to use it to our advantage, and we're gonna put out a lot of the antipasta and salamis and parmesan and olives on it, and give it some kind of showpiece, at least a use. Um, and then Daniel, what's the reaction been like to the new menu? I mean, you've got to kind of, you know, I'm sure you you have. Are you getting pushback from customers who are missing dishes, or you know, yeah, a little bit. But I, uh, to be honest, the the reaction has been really good. You know, a lot of in a restaurant that's been open 37 years, you have some, some loyalists, you know, and even those, you know, if they ask us to make something from the old menu, I'm of the school of trying to always say yes to customers, you know, like if they've been eating there for 30 years and they want that dish and we can do it, no problem, you know, but, uh, most of the reaction has been really good. I mean, the menu's probably like quadrupled in size from what it was. So there's a lot more options. They had, I think, four or five pastas on the menu. We've got about 18 now, almost. You know, so I, I, I think someone would be, would be hard-pressed to f- not find something they wanted on that menu, you know, even if it wasn't on their old menu. Yeah, no, I, I realized pretty quickly that going as just two people was not really sufficient to kind of sample everything yeah. it's like it's like well i wanted arancini but like i can't do that and the fried seafood and i i would have had you know bolognese but then i couldn't have gotten veal and man there's that steak for two that looks pretty good yeah and it's, we're doing all the steaks from bnb too yeah. so they're all dry aged and great yeah. quality but that's sort of the idea behind that menu especially with the the antipasto sections is to share you know and I'm like that's the way i love to eat is i want to go sit down order everything I can off the menu, maybe not finish it all, but take a couple bites. And like, that's how I like to eat. So they're all kind of designed like that, that, you know, we want a lot of appetizers on the table so people can pick and, and try a little bit of everything. Cause it's, it's the way I eat. But you know, the other thing was like, of course I ran the numbers on the old menu and saying, you know, people might say they love this dish or, you know, but in reality, what was really ordered over a period of time. Right. I mean, chicken parmesan right that was like right. spaghetti and meatballs yeah, spaghetti exactly. spaghetti meatballs chicken parmesan filet you know um that's really what it was so yeah there's some dishes that people said oh you took that off and i was like nobody ever ordered it though you know right. i mean the, the one dish believe it or not that i was surprised was on the menu and we kept it on because it actually sold a lot and it for me, it doesn't really make as much sense for Italian, but was the escargot. The escargot was always very, very popular there. I think it was like their th- second or third best-selling um, appetizers. Well, there is that like kind of weird French expat community in that part of the world, right? right? There's a there's a couple of French restaurants in the Energy Corridor. It's kind of a it's kind of a stretch, but I can I can see how that works. Yeah. Um, I also well, want to talk about. I'm sorry. Dan, I'm sorry, I, I cut you off. Your daughter also made <laughs> right. the demand that the escargots have to stay on the menu. So, <laughs> my, my children, uh, they have good tastes. <laughs> hey, don't you know? Got to keep, got to keep them yeah. happy too. Um, but Ben, I do want to talk about B and B a little bit because uh-huh. it it is it has been a it has been a major success, 
And I, I just remember walking it with you before you opened and you were kind of showing it to me and explaining it to me. And, and, um, I remember all the, uh, you know, our, our comment section at culture map is populated with, uh, restaurant consultants and real estate experts who were, who were very skeptical about your prospects of opening a steakhouse, not, not in downtown, but adjacent to downtown. Um, how do you, I mean, has it, is it safe to say it's exceeded your expectations for what you were capable of? Oh, greatly. Yeah. Beyond. Yeah. Every day, even like I have to pinch myself sometimes that is still rolling like how it rolls. I mean, I was thinking about this as, as I was sort of getting ready for this. I can't think of many steakhouses that are owned by a person, right? Like, you know, no. there's a lot of chains. There's a lot of like big restaurant companies, even, even Pappas to a certain extent. It's not like the vision of one person in the same way that like B&B really reflects like your taste in what makes for a good steakhouse. Right. Um, but and, I think and, that, sorry. No, it, no, please. It gives me a ton. Of, I think it's one of my advantages or it has turned into it. It's given, it's given me a bunch, uh, like a ton of flexibility. Whereas the big, big guys, I mean, they're kind of locked down in a more corporate structure, not playing with foods, not bringing in, seeing what works. It's in the ability to just offer more. Now, thank God it worked out. You know, and people like it, but yeah, no, I mean, right? You can do beef Wellington right. or carpetbagger oysters because you're not, you know, because you don't have to. Even if only, well, the carpetbaggers have been a huge success, right. but I can't imagine you sell that many Wellingtons. But it's nice to know it's available. Yeah, I love it. You know, believe it or not, the Wellingtons actually Wellingtons sell very well. That you, you know, the one that we do that I get the most credit. And this might be like part of the old school part of the menu, but people absolutely love is the prime rib. It's very hard to find prime rib on any steakhouse menu anymore. I, I mean, I can really only think of two restaurants that serve it consistently yeah. other than you. And I mean, we have a great lunch business and that's even, you know, that gives us a lot of flexibility and things as well. Just, I mean, with prime rib, cause we can sell basically a, a you know, French dip the next day, right. but that helps it out too. Well, and I just love that. Like, you know, when uh, Bob Orzo's, like, his bagel place didn't work out, you were like, yeah. let's bring on Bob. Let's do bagels. Yeah. You know, it's like we need a we need a shuttle to get to Astros games. Like, all right, yeah. we're buying a Mercedes. Yeah. Um, and I I just, you know, I, you know, you, you're serving Kobe beef. You didn't have that in the beginning. Like like the real deal, not not Japanese Wagyu, but right. honest to God, Kobe. Um, how have you how do you sort of decide like when it's time to make another tweak? I mean, what what sort of guides you? I mean, I pay attention a lot to what people are saying. I pay attention to a lot of reviews. You know, you got to be careful when you go out as well and try out what other people are doing. Um, but honestly, it's what gets me excited. Um, if I get excited about something, then I, I, I try to figure out how to get it to work. I mean, I have this sandwich coming out, which is going to be ridiculous. Um, and we didn't invent it, but I think we'll be the only ones doing it here. And it's phenomenal. Um, but I saw a video on it of a restaurant doing it. I researched it and we'll probably bring it out in the next three weeks. And it's awesome. What is it? It's a Japanese steak sandwich. 
it's like it's called katsu sandu and we're using uh a5 japanese wagyu beef it's coated in panko breadcrumbs deep fry it i found a japanese bakery to do their their white bread then katsu sauce on just simply buttered japanese white bread and then we just slice into three pieces it is awesome so it's like a $50 sandwich. Uh, it's probably going to be closer to 95 to 100 <laughs> but <laughs> My cost 50 Right. Yeah. Um, and then I know you opened, as you were saying, you opened a second location at B&B in Fort Worth. Um, how's that going? It's going well now. It was, you know, opening in January was tough. January, I'd say, just in the restaurant business, not only Houston, but probably all over the country, July and January are the worst. You know, those first two weeks of January, everybody's broke. They're back from their holidays. You got to pay your credit card bills. Right. They're allegedly keeping New Year's resolutions about eating healthy. Exactly. Cooking more. Yeah, and like steak and booze and heavy restaurants like ours, usually those are the first to go. Um, you know, we had some struggles with, honestly, just all the delays we had and restaffing the restaurant. And um, But as the weather broke, I would say we really started hitting a good stride like six weeks ago, and it's been going really, really nice. We've gotten our patio open, um, but it's, you know, it's, 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 it's amazing. Fort Worth is only three and a half, four hours away, and it's a completely, you know, tastes are different there. Um, you know, just noticing on even seasoning of steaks and what the guests are saying. Um, side dishes is the one that always blows me away. It's like here we sell mac and cheese and we sell – tons of cream spinach there it's like it's hash browns uh you know hash browns like more of a new york thing i would say and i thought the hash browns would would have gone i love our hash browns but would have gone over way more here but we don't sell the hash browns and up there we can't keep up with the hash browns um the wagyu filet just the regular texas wagyu we're having a hard time keeping them in stock well yeah that that 55 day dry age texas wagyu that you guys do is yeah. maybe my favorite steak in Houston because it, it gets that balance between that, like that funk and the beefy flavor and the fattiness because too much dry aging on, on regular prime gets dry and it's not as like the, the dry age flavor overwhelms the flavor of the beef. It's like, but that, that Wagyu is, it's a, it's a perfect balance in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, there, there we've had to pull the Wagyu fillets out of the butcher shop. Um, so we can sell them in the dining room. You know, it's like the menu right. mixes go different. Um, but right now it's going well. Um, does it make you want to do another one? Or you think no, to? no, I'll do it in Houston. I don't want to go outside <laughs> of Houston again. Um, that, that part's rough. Well, and, and you are working on another restaurant in Houston. Yes. Um, Benjamin's in, mm-hmm. in the Star. And you've been pretty tight-lipped about your plans for that. Um. I've heard it described by people in the restaurant business as your version of Tony's. I wouldn't say that as much. I mean, I'm going for upscale. Um, but I have this whole idea of the space is just grand. That's the thing. The space is incredible. And the space is going to dictate a lot with, I'd say, the atmosphere and the feel Um but, you know, it's kind of funny, probably coming from a steakhouse guy who has 
expensive menus, but I have this kind of vision of we can do upscale and really great looking environments, but it doesn't always have to have the price point, you know, and the stuffiness may be associated with it. Um, you know, I want the menu to be very approachable, but I want it to be pretty perfect. Um, you know, we'll go more towards composed plates than, you know, steakhouse is basically steak on a plate and order everything else. Um, you know, definitely tie in Texas. You know, it's a historical building. That's our issues right now. It's just kind of – I also don't even want to talk about everything until I have all my – I kind of made some mistakes in Fort Worth making some promises that weren't – then they came out of my control. But we just have a lot more uh, approvals we're getting, especially with historical right now. And we're almost – we're basically almost there with that. Um but I mean, I would call it like really approachable, upscale approachable. I mean, I think the days of a suit in a restaurant are gone. Yeah, you know? I mean, really, the only place, the only places that get away with it, um, maybe Brennan's, certainly BCN. Right. But I think it's it's I think I think that level of fine dining is really really hard to do in in twenty eighteen. Right, and also you know you you have to play to your market a tattoo. I'm, I'm, four or five blocks from the convention center and, and huge hotels. I, I need to be, you know, for closing dinners or big client dinners and stuff in, in that area. I mean, not everyone's traveling to Houston with a, with a suit. Right. So I need to, I need to attract them as well. Um, you know, and, and, and what's going to make this restaurant. And I think is going to allow me to, on the a la carte side, um, create more of an approachable atmosphere is just the large, large amount of um, private event space we're going to offer. You know, one of the parts that I saw in Houston, if you have a party over 120, 130, 150, you're going to a country club now or a hotel. There's really not a lot of options. Or you have to expend a lot of money in a venue where you have to bring in tables, bring in chairs, Bring in caterers, and that gets very, very expensive very quickly. And we want to do really high, high level restaurant quality food at, I think, better pricing, but to, you know, to run all the private party spaces there. Um, and then, Dan, what's your kind of conception for what the food's going to be like at this new restaurant? I mean, we've got a lot of work to do just discussing what what the food is going to be. I mean, we've talked about it a little bit in terms of uh, kind of conceptually what, what we want it to be. I think we're, you know, we're going to be definitely meat focused. Yeah. Once know. he gets his divorce from the pasta machine, we're going to get more <laughs> into that. Yeah. I mean, the way I would like, like to see it go is really sort of, you know, some really traditional stuff just with some, some sort of, Make them a little bit more modern, a little bit lighter, but some of those cool old French dishes or cool old American dishes that you would have seen in like the 30s and 40s that were very, you know, like very grand and kind of do do that a little bit, kind of like I mean, you like lobster la- thermidor. Okay, maybe yeah. Like I love that old kind of stuff, like duck a la breast and wheel out the whole breast and you know do the sauce table side stuff like that could be really cool. Um, you know. 
have a rotisserie and do a whole rotisserie prime rib, do whole chickens, you know, really cool stuff. Bust out the carts, slice the table side. Yeah, yeah, stuff like that I think is 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 so cool and sort of like coming back into, you know, people kind of want that, that experience again. It doesn't have to be super expensive either. Well, know? and it doesn't have to be stuffy. Like no. it can be done, it, it can be put out and explained in a way that's 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 very approachable and also you know the restaurant's becoming a real form of entertainment for a lot of people right like retail's gone shopping centers are going away somewhat but if you go out you, you know you, you want to see something you, you know you you want that my thing is they want the total experience you know right i mean that's something Tillman Fertitta has talked about uh with masters for example where you know, the shelf, the shellfish trays come out with dry ice so yeah. pillows smoke through the dining room. And, you know, uh, I mean, La Table lights a steak on fire right. before they carve it. You know, so there there is that that theatrical element, I think, is... Uh, I, didn't yeah, have, I don't know back. if I would go as that far. That, that's, yeah, I had a hard time finding my uh, shrimp cocktail at Mastro's. <laughs> like, I, I did. I, I, I wouldn't, want it, I wouldn't want it to be gimmicky. Right. Just, just like classic cool presentation <laughs> stuff, you know, and like classic cuisine that's not being done that much, at least here that I've seen. And also, too, when you bring out, when you bring that side out into the dining room, I mean, so many people are interested in eating, you know, eating and cooking and cooking shows. And when you can bring the kitchen, like especially those kind of dishes out, I think people get really interested in then seeing how it's done in that way. Yeah, I mean, even something simple like you know, tableside steak tartare, right? right. I mean, exactly. that's like a yeah. that's a really nice way to sort of watch the dish come together. Or, or, I mean, you know, Brennan's is famous for bananas Foster, right? Done tableside. That's that's a you know, I I can't imagine going there and not ordering that. So, what what do you think is the timeline for all this? I mean, do you have a summer? No. If everything goes okay in the next six weeks, I would say we'd be looking at October-ish, end of October. If it doesn't go okay with some of our approvals, I would probably have to make the decision to push it to January of, like, 19. Because it's the kind of thing where, if I can't be sure it's going to get done, I don't want to open right in the middle of December. Well, you'd like to, ideally, you'd like to open in enough time to get a little experience get, under exactly. your belt before you do big holiday parties. Yes, exactly. So these these next six weeks will, will really determine all that. Because the beauty of the space is there's a lot of work. We're building two kitchens there. We're, gonna, we're building a kitchen on the mezzanine and downstairs. You know, one is more of a catering kitchen. But the space is there. I don't have to do windows. I don't have to do any of that stuff. I mean, it's really plumbing for bathrooms, building the kitchen. And we're restricted on on a lot of stuff, which I think other people would kind of have to do because of some, his, you know, historical restrictions. Um, you know, the floors will take long. It'll take long to paint it because it's big. But the layout, the way it is, it's it's really it's the hard work is the kitchen. Plus, I got real smart on this one and had the landlord handle putting the elevator in. 
Smart. I'm done with elevators. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then Dan, so what are you? So what's next for you? I mean, kind of shepherding Carmelo's, uh, and then starting to get ready for Benjamin, I guess. Yeah, I mean, Carmelo still needs a lot of work. You know, uh, this is probably my sixth or seventh opening that I've done in the last ten years, and. A restaurant doesn't really hit its stride, I don't think, or at least in my my opinion, in the kitchen and like systems in place, food where you want it to be. It takes a good nine months to a year, you know, before you really get the guys locked in and service gets smooth, ordering gets smooth, and you really you're really able to well, to really did- sort of step away from something. I wouldn't feel comfortable stepping away anytime soon, you know. Yeah, we just had that. Was the whole kitchen was just yeah replaced like four weeks ago, right? Yeah, we put in all brand new equipment. I mean, definitely, you know, as as we go forward and get busier and busier, more staff is going to be needed. More training is going to be needed needed to be done. Catering our banquets. We've got a lot going on. I'm putting there. a bar in. It needs a bar. It needs a bar desperately. Yeah. Does it does it have a liquor license? Because I asked about. Yeah, there's liquor license. Okay, because I asked about cocktails and they just handed me the wine list. Yeah, well, see, they always had that like three, three seat. It was almost a service bar, and we just got a bartender to kind of get them out of bad habits of of the servers going behind making drinks, etc. Um, really, but when it comes, I'm, I'm building an. I'm going to build a nice. Um, it's going to be like a horseshoe bar. It's going to be in one of the private rooms. If it all works out, it's going to be really pretty cool. I got Chinar involved and oh, nice um, with the bar for aesthetically as well. Um, but when it comes to like cocktail programs, building up the wine list even more, um, that's all really going to come with the bar. I think the bar in that neighborhood um, is going to be a big draw. There's really nowhere to get a drink. You have the place next door, next to Hungry's, and after that, there's, there's. Yeah, I mean, I was kind of driving around. There's nowhere and to get a drink. Right. So that's a that's an important addition, yeah. I think. Um, and then Dan, let me just ask you one last thing. How are you? How are you liking Houston so far? Uh, it's great. I, I really, you know, a buddy of mine from back home, uh, who actually left New York about ten years ago, asked me that same question and sort of. If I miss New York, and my answer was I haven't really even thought about New York since I've left, and and I was sort of confident in that when I moved here that it wasn't going to be that tough me? of a transition because you know in you New get York, to hang out with me. Yeah. Of course, it's wonderful. Yeah. Well, there's like a kind of cool expat New York chef thing going on right now, like Dimitri Vucinis at uh, Emmeline, Terrence Gallivan at uh, Pass and Provisions. Shepard just hired a guy that used to Nick Wong, who was working for David Chang for a long time. You guys should like, I don't know. You guys should like start a club or something. <laughs> <laughs> right now, my club is my wife, my dog, and and me passing out at like eleven o'clock at night when I get home from work. I, you know, in New York, that was one of the reasons it wasn't hard for me to leave. Like I, you don't take advantage of it anymore. When you go home, you go to work. You know. So now I, instead of, you know, walking to work or taking the subway, which was awful, I get to drive to work and it's nice and relaxing and I go home, you know, I mean, uh, uh, yeah, it's been a smooth transition. It really has. And I I love 
The food I've eaten down here so far has been great. I'm obsessed with the Tex-Mex food down here. I love it. I could eat it five, six nights a week. The barbecue that I've had has been fantastic. Um, and that's pretty much all I've been eating for the last two months. <laughs> you should ask him that question in like July and August. What's that? Yeah, yeah right. Come back, come back in yeah. August and, and see how hey, you listen, feel about you've seen the weather in New York lately. Uh, yeah. yeah, it was snow in April. So yeah. Yeah, it's like terrible there. Um, but well, no, it's been good. Good. Well, that, that brings me to the end of, of my questions, and, and we're running uh, a little bit short of time, but I do like to wrap these interviews up with something they call the lightning round. Uh, five questions, five short answers. Just say the first thing that comes to mind. Are you ready? Sure. Ben Berg, what's the first restaurant you ever worked at? It was... I guess I'd have to say the Lake Placid Lodge. Dan, how about you? I'll say a voce. Uh, Dan, what is your fast food guilty pleasure that comes from a drive through uh, the milkshakes from Whataburger, since I've been down here, pretty good. <laughs> it's a good answer. <laughs> ben, how about you? Uh, I would have to say, man, I'm not a big fast food person. I love the I love the lemonade at uh, at Chick Fil A. <laughs> um, ben, what's the first band you ever saw in concert? In excess. Dan. Tom Petty, Nassau Coliseum. Nice. Yeah. Um, well, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. In Excess was my first concert alone. The first concert I saw was unbelievable. It was like Paul McCartney, Bonnie Raitt, Elton John. It was some charity event that I got cool. that we went to. Madison Square Garden. Um, <laughs> Tom Petty's still better. Dan I, Dan, I know you're new in town, but have you developed a favorite Houston sports figure, past or present? Um... Patrick Reed just winning the Masters. That's got to be up there. That was pretty cool. That's pretty solid. Ben, how about you? Uh, past or present, sports figure? Yeah. I really thought Anybody from Earl Campbell to Jose Altuve and everything in between? I like Altuve a lot. I think he's pretty awesome. All right. And then, Ben, where's your favorite place to get a taco? Okay. I like... I like this place actually near my house called Mexico Deli. It is pretty, it's very Mexico City Mexican. Um, it's a kind of a hole in the wall, but it's, it's, it's great. It's an unbelievable pastor. Dan, how about you? Have you found a favorite taco yet? Yeah, I've been crushing the breakfast tacos on the weekend from um, uh, the bakery Guadalupana, I think is the name of it. That's a very solid answer. Yeah, those are good. Really Thanks. good. Very solid. All right, gentlemen, thank you so much for being here. We's, uh, ben, I know the B&B's website is bbbutchers.com. Mm -hmm. What is the Carmelo's website? Carmelo'sRestaurant.com. Perfect. Um, but it's under, it's being, it's under construction right now. Um, and, of course, they have Facebook pages and Instagram accounts and, and all that stuff. And I'll, I'll link to all of it in the Culture Map article that accompanies this podcast. And, of course, you can follow me on Twitter at E. Sandler, on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Uh, check Culture Map every day for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. This is your periodic reminder that you can subscribe to this podcast on both iTunes and Google Play. Always appreciate your ratings and comments, but like Katie Nolan says, only if it's five stars and only if it's nice. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.